Praise the Lord. Today is Super Bowl Sunday. How many people are excited? Super Bowl Sunday. A few excited people. I know Spencer's cranked like to the ceiling because he's an Eagles fan. He's not, he's not a bandwagon Eagles fan, which there are many of because there are so many people that just don't want the Patriots to win. So there's a lot of Eagles bandwagon fans out there, I know, that have just jumped onto that cart and they're trying to ride it into the end zone. Uh, I get that. Uh, but I also realized this morning that uh, there's a few uh, diehard Patriots fans. Can I hear from them this morning? What? All two of you. Okay, maybe three. What well, three? Uh, two of them are McFalls, <laughs> and the other one is Dan Williams over there. And, uh, you know, uh, last year, you know, Dan and I, I just decided I would cheer for the Patriots last year because I just... I, I like success. What can I say? Uh, so uh, we were cheering last year, and I remember Jody just chirping on us like crazy because the, the Falcons were just blowing them away. And then when the second half opened up and, and the Falcons went up by another seven points, that was like 28 to 3, right? And he was just, oh, he, what was that George Bush joke you said about how he got more yards in the first half than the Patriots did? Uh, you know, something like that. Because Anyway, you know, and then the Patriots started to come back, and I, I was like, I told you, I told you, I told you, and then Jody leaves the room. He, he left the house. He didn't want to stick around for the chirping. Uh, he knew what was going to happen. Uh, it was quite funny indeed, let me tell you, but I am just going to tell you this morning that uh, uh, my biggest problem is I, I, I just can't bring myself to cheer for a team from Philadelphia. It's It's hard. I think it goes back to the NHL days. Remember, anybody remember the Broad Street Bullies, you know? How many feel like I got old enough for you to remember that? See, I think it goes back to that. I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, it's been a challenge for me all my life. And so uh, maybe Mark will let me into his house to watch the game today. I'm not sure. He, uh, you know, you got to be a diehard Patriots fan to be allowed into the McFall den when the Super Bowl is on. So... Anyway, we're so glad you came here today. If you're having a party or whatever, invite somebody over to your house. It's a great time to connect today. People, you know, even if you don't like football, people love to eat and all that kind of stuff. So, so you know, have people over to your house. It's a great opportunity to connect. It's a great way to do some, some community and some life with people. So uh, we encourage you to take advantage of it. This is like a gift wrap for you. It's almost like Christmas. You know what I mean? You can just uh, invite people out and they'll be there. Well, I don't know how far I'm going to get this morning because it's already 10 after, and uh, yeah. Um, so, what's that? Yeah, I don't care about basketball. So, uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> I only care about hockey and football, the real sports. But uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> oh, now Peter's going to get mad at me too because I didn't include baseball on that list. All right. <laughs> yeah, there's no way to actually get out of that one. So let me just move on then. We've been talking about taking the church to the next level, and this morning I want to talk about changing environments, changing environments. And uh, just real quick here this morning, uh, we're bucking the trend in modern Christianity to separate our personal journey uh, with Christ from uh, the body of Christ, from the local church. And uh, this is not a biblical trend by any means, but the idea that, well, you know, uh, I do it myself, I mean, that comes out of the mouth of two-year-olds. Uh, and so if you want to know if that's a, a godly idea, like I said, you hear it out of the mouth of two-year-olds. Uh, when we grow up mature, we realize that nobody is self-made. Everybody is dependent on other people. Or our lives are a journey of being intertwined and how we need the body of Christ to be able to move forward. And so that is what God has for us. And then we, we uh, looked at the scripture uh, 
uh, of letting us hold fast the confession of our hope, and I won't spend too much time talking about that, except to say that over the last couple weeks we talked about, on week one, the enemy wants to separate you from the body, keep you down, out, behind everyone else, right? And then in the second week of that verse, we talked about how he, he wants to keep you away from the body so that you're not here to what? To parakaleo. How many got some parakaleo in this week? You spoke some encouragement. You spoke some uh, commander-in-chief kind of life into somebody. You did a little parakaleo. You know, the enemy wants to keep you away uh, so that he can keep you down, but then he wants to also keep you away so you're not here to parakaleo, to speak into somebody else's life. And this is one of the most natural environments we have to speak life into other people, and the enemy wants to keep you from doing that, all right? Enough said about that. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, or if you didn't bring it with you, or you just got your digital version, the one on the screen I'm sure will do, Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Listen to this scripture. It says, Therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, we just ask your help this morning as we look to your scripture. Pray, Lord, that you would open it up for us. You'd give us understanding. Lord, you'd give us the ability to see your word in the scripture. And Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. How many know that God's got a rhema word inside his logos word here this morning for you? Anybody know the difference? Rhema word is when the word becomes quickened and speaks to you. Uh, The logos word is the fact that it's all inspired word of God. But sometimes there's those verses that jump off the page and they hit you right between the eyes. That's a rhema moment when you have that happen. I believe God's got some rhema for you here this morning in the scripture. So the first thing I want to talk to you about out of this passage is the fact that you're surrounded. Turn to the person beside you and say, man, you're surrounded. You are surrounded. This passage starts out by talking about how we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. By a great cloud of witnesses. Who are the witnesses that this scripture, this text in Hebrews 12 verse 1 is speaking about? Who are these witnesses? Well, from the context, uh, this is the very first chapter, a verse I should say of chapter 12. And if you go back to chapter 11, right, the chapter that precedes it, It's often called the faith chapter, right? Many people refer to it as the faith chapter. Why? Because it chronicles the faith of people from Abraham to David to the prophets. I mean, and it it tells the story of these people and their great faith, the incredible faith that they had. But there's an interesting thing in that end of chapter 11, and this is the last two verses of chapter 11. So these are the two verses that precede our text this morning. Look at what they say. And all these, all those people that I just spoke of, in the Old Testament, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. You see that? Isn't that something? They did not receive the promise. Then look what it says. God having provided something better for us. Everybody say better. Better Better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And then it goes into verse 12. Or chapter 12, I should say. Isn't that something? That's how chapter 11 ends. After telling you all the great exploits of these men and women of faith, it ends with that passage. This, to me, is one of the most remarkable passages in Scripture. Because in in chapter 11, verse 6, it says, uh, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder 
of those who diligently seek him. And yet he just told you how these people diligently sought him and diligently stepped out in faith. And then at the end of the chapter, he says, they didn't get the promise. They did not receive the promise. You can back this mic off a little bit. I'm getting a little bit of ring and feedback from it. I'm capable of shouting. The writer turns and he says that all those great men and women died without having received the promise. And he adds that God had something better for us. What does all that mean? Well, that's what I want to help you understand as we begin this morning. The writer is telling us that despite their faith, despite all the exploits they committed, they could not receive the promise without us. The Old Testament men and women did not receive the promise because they could only be obtained, Say everybody say only, only be obtained through the completed work of Christ. Impossible for them to receive it because it could only be obtained through the completed work of Christ. What kind of promises might they have had from God? Uh, promises of all of Israel being uh, you know, faithful to God. Promises of, of you know, land being restored. Promises of generational uh, people serving God. All kinds of promises that they were taking a hold of as Old Testament men and women of faith. But those promises could not be realized except through the completed work of Jesus Christ. Does everybody follow what I'm saying this morning? And, are you ready for this? Whoops, I guess my computer's this way. (laughs) They could not be complete without the, the work of Christ. And furthermore, God had something better for us. They could not be made perfect apart from us. So there were two things required for those promises to be fulfilled. First of all, they needed the completed work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection into glory. But secondly, and the most mind-blowing, is that they couldn't receive the promise apart from us. Who's us? The church. God's plan for redemption for the world is this thing called the church. This entity called the church that he also calls his bride that he also calls his body, that he also calls his friend, that the church of Jesus Christ, the collective of Jesus Christ, that without the church, the people of the Old Testament could not receive the promises of God. This is, is, is significant stuff. The reality is that, the, that all that those Old Testament saints were believing for for the nation of Israel, for the world, uh, for their generational families, etc., could only be fulfilled through the completed work of Christ and through the better promises, the better covenant made through the church of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? Well, that means that, as the scripture says, the whole world's waiting for us to show up. Everybody say, ouch. They're all waiting. They're all waiting. We're his bride. We're his body. We're as friends, and the world is waiting for us. We enjoy all the privileges of redemption. We have access to us everything that we need to be able to fulfill the mission so that the promises of the saints of the Old Testament are fulfilled, that their faith is not in vain. They're looking to us. And that's why chapter 12, verse 1, starts out with this phrase. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. What are they there to witness? 
to testify to. They are there to witness the working and the efforts and the calling and the anointing and the promises being fulfilled through the church. Now, they're not a a harsh witness. They're not a harsh witness. No. They're a pulling for you witness. They're a witness that's cheering you on. Why? Because in us is the fulfillment of what they're waiting for. In us is the fulfillment of their own hopes and dreams and aspirations. They are pulling for the church. They are coaching the church on. They're shouting glory. They are are amen in everything that we accomplish and do. They are pulling for us to have victory. I thought this was a good passage in the light of the Super Bowl today because there's going to be a lot of people yelling and screaming at the Super Bowl and at their TV screens and all that kind of stuff. But this is a much more important thing than football. And I know that some people said, you know, pastor, come on now, careful. Yes, it is more important than football. More important than football. So here it is. We're surrounded by this cloud of heavenly witnesses, a cheering squad that has a vested interest in our success. They didn't receive their promise because they couldn't receive it without the completed work of Christ, and they couldn't receive it apart from us. I'm not making this stuff up. You just saw the scriptures yourself. They couldn't receive it apart from us. What they believed for, what they bled for, what they fought for could not be realized apart from God's redemptive plan and God's redemptive people, the church. That is a potent revelation for us this morning. The promises, the dreams, the hopes of all those heroes waiting for centuries for their fulfillment. And it can only happen through us. That is mind-boggling stuff here this morning. And that leads me to the second point here. There's, how many know there's a lot at stake with our, our walk this morning? How many know there's a lot at stake? That it's not just about you. I mean, you probably never thought about the fact that even, even the folks in the Old Testament are hanging with bated breath on what we do. I mean, there's a lot at stake here. There's a lot at stake. So what do we need to do? Well, you need to ask yourself, why then, if, if there's so much at stake, why do we not many times see the breakthrough? And we've seen much breakthrough in the last 2,000 years. Our world has been shaped by the church of Jesus Christ. But it seems to me like late, we're, lately we're, we're losing the ground. We're losing, we're losing uh, territory. We're, we're giving up uh, stuff to the enemy. And we want to blame it on politics, and we want to blame it on the left. But... But I think, I think that we have to be honest and recognize that we've kind of thrown in the towel on a lot of stuff. And God's telling us not to do that. God has, says he's got, a whole, he's got a whole cloud of witnesses cheering us on not to do that. He's got a whole group of people that are saying to us, don't do that. And for some of us, we've, 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 we've fallen into these, these snares and we need to change the environment in which we walk. Hebrews uh, verse 1 there said, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, everybody say weight, and the sin, everybody say sin, and then it says, so which so easily ensnares us. Easily ensnares us. What often keeps us from the breakthrough, what often keeps us from being able to walk with the authority so that even Old Testament promises are fulfilled, what keeps us back What keeps us back 
from accomplishing that mission is our environment. It's the environment in which we choose. Everybody say choose. choose. It's the environment in which we choose to live. Your environment affects the way you think and the way you live. Does everybody understand that? How many, how many uh, former smokers do we have here this morning? Come on, be honest. Put your hands up. When you were trying to quit, was it a smart thing to go out in the smoking area at work and hang out with all the people that are smoking? Yeah. Like a brutally difficult way to, to kick the habit is to hang out in the smoking area and, and everybody's, and you're like, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I kill for a cigarette, you know? It's not a great confession, by the way, but, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, if you're, if you were an, an alcoholic and, you know, then the, the craziest thing for you to do is to go out and to, to hang out at a bar or to go to a party where everybody's going to get loaded. Are you hearing me? Does this make any sense to anybody? You know, and so when we come to Christ and he sets us free from stuff, you know, many times, if not every time, we've got to shift some of our environments. We have to change some of the, the ways in which we are living, and we have to shift it because God wants to use us, and we cannot get ourselves in a situation where our environment holds us back, where our, our environment can destroy our faith. And sometimes it's just as simple as we have to get away from friends that speak negatively about our faith. Sometimes we got we to gotta say no to that, and we got to get around other believers who are going to build us up. Or are you saying that Christians should hang around with non-Christians? Not at all. The caveat to this is that we have to understand that we have to be more mature in our walk than, we are, than the, the level or the degree of the temptation. You have to have, uh, as we like to say around here, you have to have a commensurate authority that is equal or greater than the temptation that you place yourself in. And so for myself, since I was a, a, what we call a teenage uh, weekend warrior, uh, where I, every weekend I got stoned and I got uh, loaded, drunk, then I had to cut myself off from that environment for a season in order to have an authority over those things in my life. Am I, am I talking any wisdom to anybody here this morning? Are you getting that? And so it's interesting, as I was thinking about that, I got, I got looking into you know, that phrase where it says, so easily ensnares us, and here's what I found. So it says, lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. That word in Greek is huperestatos. Can everybody say that? Huperestatos. Huperestatos. That word is, is the word that, that describes not letting something ensnare you. And it comes from three Greek words. Uh, U, which is something that feels comfortable. All right? U, which means something that feels comfortable. A peri, which means completely surrounded, and then status, which means to stand, all right? So when you see that, all right, you're, you're, you're getting a picture of, of a, a new word which describes this, that we are to lay aside the sin and, and the environment that so comfortably envelops us. Do you understand what the, what the writer's saying? He's, he's basically saying the thing that ensnares you is the environment that you surround yourself with. That that word it tells us to keep ourselves from being snared. We got we to gotta get rid of that comfort zone that, that surrounds us and pulls us down. 
You know, there's an old saying, right? Why do people fall back into sin? Because they say, well, better the devil you than the one that you So to forge ahead for God means to face new things, new struggles, new walls, new territories, new demons. But at least if I just live here in this comfort zone, I know what my devil's going to do to me there, right? And so many people won't step out in a new faith direction with God because they'll stay back where at least I know what I'm up against when I stay here. The problem is you may know what you're up against and you keep losing to it as well. Because the Bible's trying to take you out of that environment that's trying to take you down. Am I making any sense to anybody today? So sometimes it's necessary to make changes in your life. You must physically remove yourself from an unprofitable situation. If you're not strong enough in your faith, then to remain without being affected is not going to happen. You are going to be brought down. You've got to separate yourself sometimes from those environments that you got comfortable with that are not helping you move ahead in God. So what's this look like? Well, ask yourself, am I still bar hopping? You know the old song, looking for love in all the wrong places, you know? I wish I could find a husband. I wish I could find a wife. You know, while well, you're spending your weekends at a bar, get, guess what? Chances are you're, 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 limiting, you're limiting the selection pool here to what's not likely to be very profitable. <laughs> are you hearing me? You might want to try a different MO here. If you want somebody who's going to honor covenant and vows and God, they may not likely be there. Now, if you see them there handing out tracts and witnessing, laying on hands in the sick and seeing them recover, then you might want to you know, go up to that person and say, well, I see that God's called you to a bar ministry, but there's not very many of those people out there. And why? Because it's too easy in that environment to get destroyed rather than to have impact. All right. Are you still hanging around the wrong crowd? You know, the, the old saying, bad company corrupts good character, right? So you want to make sure you don't, you don't hang around those that are going to destroy your character. Do your friends build your faith or dismantle your faith? Sometimes you even, have to, you even have to walk away from a job. We've counseled people through it before. They had to walk away because the job, the job was in, a, in an environment that was bringing them down, destroying their life. And your faith is more important than a job. And how many know God can give you a better job? Amen? God can give you a better job. Your faith is serious business. It's serious business. So you got to take it seriously. All right. Now, the rest of this verse, he talks about, let us run the race then with endurance. Let us run the race that's set before us with endurance. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Remember that cloud of witnesses? It's still waiting for us to run the race that's set before us. The hopes and dreams that they have uh, carried in their heart for millennia, they're waiting for us to run the race. They're resting on the church. Once we free ourselves from those negative, toxic environments, we've got to run the race before us. How do I run the race? How do I run that race? Real simple. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's how you run the race. The Bible says he's the author, the finisher of your faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't look to the right. Don't look to the left. Keep him on Jesus. Keep him on Jesus. If every Christian tries to simply emulate Jesus, you know those cute little bracelets, what would Jesus do? Pretty valid question. 
And if you find yourself doing stuff that you can't imagine Jesus doing, run the opposite direction. Are you hearing me? What would Jesus do? What would he do is a valid question. And we need to keep our eyes fixed on him. And then the scripture says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? Was it the cross? No, it says, for the joy set before him endured the cross. Was it the shame? No, he endured the cross and the shame for the joy. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? Hold your hand up like this. Pretend it's a mirror. That's the joy. It's you. It's me. He did it because his joy was to see you walking in the kind of victory that he died to provide. That's the joy that took him to the cross. He wasn't masochistic. It wasn't because he liked pain and suffering that he somehow had some kind of, a, of this need to be you know, whipped and scourged. No, he endured all that suffering so that we could have a vital life so that we could live. This is important. This is important. The joy that took him to the cross was the victory his death would purchase. He went to the cross joyfully, joyfully so that we could have life. He did it so that we could have life. His sacrifice made the church possible. It's incredible, isn't it? His death made it all possible. It made it all possible. It filled him with joy. It filled him with joy. The church filled Jesus with joy. And the church made the Old Testament saints of faith cheer. The church. Turn the person and say, so we did that. You can say, we do that. We do that. We, we put joy in Jesus' heart, and we make the Old Testament saints cheer. We're the ones that they're cheering. We're the ones that they're cheering. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. The great irony this morning, and you ready? You got to get this, and I'm going to close with this because we're running out of time. The great irony this morning is this: that if we'll step out of those negative environments, then we'll be able to step back into the enemy's territory and take back what he has stolen. He will call us out from those environments so that we can get strong, we can get built up, we can get filled with faith, we can get filled with hope, we can get filled with power, we can get filled with anointing. And then, strategically, he sends us back into environments to shift them for him. And that's why this message is called Changing Environments, because it's a twofold message. Sometimes we have to change our environment in order to be able to get healthy and get strong and get whole and get filled with faith and power and authority. But then God empowers us to go back into different environments and change them for the kingdom of God. Do you hear me? We must lay aside every sin and step out of any negative environments that are destroying our faith. We've got to run the race, live in victory, 
so that we can step into other environments and shift them for the kingdom of God. Throughout history, this is what the church of Jesus Christ has done. I mean, the stories, I could, you could go on and on all day of the stories uh, of almost everything that we enjoy in our culture is because people of faith stepped into the environments and the institutions of man and they shifted those things for the glory of God. Virtually every city in, in Europe and in North America's first hospital was created by who? Christians. Universities created by who? Christians. Are you hearing me this morning? Abolition of slavery started by who? Christians. William Wilberforce, who had a, a tremendous conversion with Christ, went to his parliament in a time in which Europe was steeped in sin and England was, was riddled with sin and where it was considered cool to, to wife swap and all kinds of other stuff that was going on with members of parliament. And he has a conversion experience with God, and he becomes absolutely appalled with the spiritual climate in England. And one of the things that appalls him the most is the slave trade, and he lays his life down for the abolition of slavery. A Christian who shifted the environment. Are you hearing me this morning? First thing he had to do was he had to come out from the environments of sin that he'd been living into and he'd been following into. But then, as God began to give him a vision of his glory, his power, and his authority, he stepped back into the political arena, into those places, and he shifted those environments for the kingdom of God. That's what God's calling the church to do. That's what he's calling us to do. He is calling us. He is calling us out of those negative environments so that we can become filled and empowered with Holy Spirit to go back into strategic environments to shift our culture for Christ. So how does that look? Sometimes we've got to pull away from that stuff. Where do we go when we pull away from that stuff? We should be right here with other believers, hearing the word, worshiping together, going to small groups, going to people's homes, having coffee with other believers, creating environments and relationships that build you up and stoke your faith. That's what you need to do. As we've talked about the last couple of weeks, you don't pull yourself away when you get discouraged. You don't separate yourself when you get down. You dive in. You go up to the plate. You do everything you can to, to love and to serve and, and invest yourself so that you get built up and you get strengthened and those around you get built up and strengthened. And then together, we're able to go back into those environments and shift our culture for the glory of God. Do you hear me this morning? Why the church? That's why the church. Well, you know, I've been, I've been doing all right by myself, you know. Really? Really? How well you been doing? Well, I'm still standing. Is that all God wants you to do is just stand? Oh. He wants you to stand, and then he wants you to expand. Then he wants you to step out. Then he wants you to, you know, impact your world. Impact your world we got to get past this thing where it's just about me. As long as I survive, it's all good. No, God's saying, I'm not about you just surviving. I want you to get out there and change the world. Hello? We're not just about surviving. If your faith is just about surviving, then you got to go deeper. you got to change some environments. you got to shift some stuff because it isn't just about surviving. It's not just about surviving. 
It's about going deeper. It's about accomplishing more. It's about growing the kingdom of God. That's what it's about. I hope I'm making sense to people here this morning. Before the service this morning, I, I felt that there were people here that you have some work to do in shifting some environments. That you've allowed yourself to get into environments that are just dragging you down. That are holding you back. For some of you, it might be, you know, old habits that you've never laid aside and you, you keep going back and back and back to that, those relationships and those environments that, that keep you bound in that particular habit, that particular sin that's just destroying your life. At the very least, it's keeping you from being effective. Because what happens is when we get stuck in some kind of a cycle of sin, then we experience shame and then shame isolates us even further. And you know how it works and you're... You just spiral down out of control. And God's calling you to, to shift those environments, to change those environments, to change your surroundings. That's why the scripture says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. It's, it's not talking about a, a, an evangelism strategy. It's talking about a, a development strategy for your own personal life. It's talking about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's talking about identifying the things and the areas in your life that they're dragging you down and making strategies for you to be free from those things. That's why the Bible says that, but it also says that though we're in the world, we're not of the world. So it's not trying to take you out of the world. We're, we're meant to be in the schools. We're meant to be in the universities. We're meant to be in politics. We're meant to be in, in the film industry and in the, the music industry. We're meant to be in all of those places. God wants us in all of those environments. But he wants us there to influence, not to be influenced. Do you see the difference? He has got us in those environments to influence, not to be influenced. He's got us there to shape the environment and shift the environment, not to be shaped by the environment and shifted away from Christ by the environment. That's what he's striving to do. But for some of you this morning, those weights, they're like great big ball and chain strapped around your ankle, and you've carried that thing for years and years and years and you struggled and you struggled and you know, it's, it could be an attitude, it could be a, a, a sin, it could be a, a habit. It, it might not even be something the Bible calls sin, but you know for you, if God's put his finger on it, then it's sin. And you need to lay that thing aside. It could be your pride, it could be your arrogance, it could be the sense that I'm just too good for that. Well, God wants to set you free from that too. I don't know what it is, but but I believe the breakthrough will come when we fulfill what the scripture says and we get ourselves out of those environments that we've surrounded, those comfortable environments we've surrounded ourselves with that are dragging us down. And then we go to the Lord and to his word and to the fellowship of believers and we get built up so then we can go back into the world and we can change it for the kingdom of God. Please understand, this is not an isolationist message, just the opposite. I'm just talking about you shifting your environment so you can get built up, so you can go out and shift the environment. We can do it. We can do it. I don't know, I've told you this before, but I've been, 
I've been in a restaurant and brought a group in, and all of a sudden we just stop and, and prayer. We start talking about the things of God, and the, I've had waiters and waitresses come over and ask what we're talking about and, and want to know, you know, what we're talking about and get engaged with us about the, the Spirit of the Lord. And I've, I've seen the shift, the environment in the entire restaurant shift as we begin to lift up the name of Christ. And then when we leave, we live a big tip so that we don't undo all the work we just did. Right? Hello? Am I talking to anybody here this morning? It gets real practical like that. There's so many ways in which we can shift the environments that we live in. But we can't do it if we're bound ourselves. So we got to get freed up so we can help free up other people. So I really felt God wanted us just to, this morning to come forward and to lay some stuff down this morning. To, to cut loose some things that have been binding us and holding us back. And I realize it's a quarter two and uh, some of you got to get kids and all that kind of stuff. I understand that. I don't want to drag this out, but I want you to stand with me this morning. And if the Lord's speaking to you that, that there are some things that have been holding you back from being at your best. And they've been holding you back from becoming that man, that woman of God that he has destined you to be. And you realize that that this morning, for the first time, that, that even the saints of the Old Testament are, are cheering you on to lay that thing aside so that, so that their dreams, even their passions, and their promises can be fulfilled. That this morning, this morning, you would not leave here, please do not leave here, without dealing with it. The bigger the weight, the more important it is for you to lay it down this morning. Set that thing down, cast it aside, whatever, whatever, you know, uh, metaphor you want to use, I don't care, and God doesn't care. It's just about making that decision and then going forth in faith to believe and trust that it will be defeated. Barry said something earlier that I think is so important. He said, we don't defeat this th the things of the flesh by working in the flesh. That was a hard lesson for me to learn because I'm a, I'm a big self-discipline guy. And I talk to my kids about self-discipline and I talk about things. But then one day I learned that even self-discipline is a fruit of what? It's a fruit of the Spirit. Book of Galatians. Go look it up yourself. It's a fruit of the Spirit. That kind of boggled my mind. And the Lord revealed to me that it's only by getting into to relationship with Him and intimate with Jesus and building up my spirit that I have the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-discipline. Isn't that interesting? But by the Spirit do we put to death the deeds of the flesh. So this morning, you might say, what difference does it make coming to the altar? Because that's what I, when I'm fighting against, i got to fight when I get out there. I agree. But by the Spirit, though, do we put to death those deeds of the flesh. So this morning, whatever that that chain is, that weight that so easily, that sin that so easily besets you this morning, that you've put yourself in that comfort zone of, of well, at least I know what this thing is and I can, I can, you know, live with that. No, don't live with it anymore. Step out in faith and go in a new direction where God is going to empower you to shift your environment for the glory of God. So I want to invite you right now just to come forward. We just want to agree with you and pray with you. doesn't matter what it is. doesn't matter how big the thing seems to be to you. God is bigger than whatever that weight is, whatever that snare is that he's put you in. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Lord. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, mighty God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I want you to begin this morning. Just raise your hands to the Lord if you're up here at the front. Lift your hands to him and begin to just speak what that thing is out to the Lord. You don't need to shout it so loud that everybody around you hears it, but you need to articulate, you need to declare it to the Lord. You need to speak it out to him this morning so that he is, is seeing that faith in you in operation. You're doing it for yourself. You're declaring this thing for yourself because you want to be free of it this morning in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, you're setting people free this morning. You're drawing them into your presence, Lord. You're drawing them into your uh, environment of grace and glory. And, Father, you're going to give them victory this morning in Jesus' name. And, Father, you're going to give them the strength to pull themselves out of those environments that are pulling them down. And, Father, give them a, a, an infusion of your grace to, Father, have the fruit of self-discipline and the fruit of victory in their life so that, Lord, they're able to go back into those environments and shift them for the glory of God. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah.